to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. for your giving. Uh, Super, super thankful tonight to be able to introduce our speaker. Um, Many of you have followed his ministry uh, on social media and online. He's uh, preached uh, all over the state of West Virginia and beyond. Uh, Called into ministry at a very, very early age from Mullins, West Virginia. Let me just say it's wonderful to have his fiance in the house with us tonight. Uh, and several other guests. So honored to meet you guys. Super thankful you're here tonight. Um, but God has uh, anointed Nick Walker with an anointing um, to proclaim the message of Jesus, not just in church settings, but God has afforded him the opportunity to even go into public school systems. They've seen roughly this week in schools, 225 people give their life to Jesus. Yeah, that's what... That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And so we don't, we don't take that lightly. We, we like, go Jesus, go Nick, do your thing, do what God has called you to do. And so we're truly honored to have um, this gift. The, the Bible is very clear that we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's nine gifts. And the church prioritizes the nine gifts of the Spirit, but a lot of times we don't take the time to honor the five offices that Jesus left the same way we honor the gifts the Holy Spirit left. But Jesus also left five offices, the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, and our speaker tonight, the evangelist. And so we want to honor the gift, and I take it very seriously to expose our house to apostolic gifts, to prophetic gifts, but also the gift of an evangelist. And so I am honored tonight to introduce to you our speaker. Would you guys stand with me? And can we give Nick Walker a Bethesda welcome as he comes to share the word? Oh. Are you happy to be in his house tonight? It's his house. Listen, if you're going to give a man that, that beautiful of an introduction, why don't you give Jesus an even greater praise? Come on. He's worthy. He's worthy. Jesus, we honor you for freedom. For who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I thank you that we stand in a house tonight that proclaims freedom to the captive in Jesus' name. Wow, thank you so much. You can be seated in the house. It is great to be here. And I want to thank Pastor Chad and, and all of you for joining us tonight. I know that it's Veterans Day and, and football playoffs in West Virginia is a very big deal. I've played football in high school and in college, and I know it's a very big deal. You may even call it an idol in some places. And it's Friday, night, it's first week of playoffs, and you're here in God's house. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Are y'all ready for a great night tonight? He's... Um, Pearson, let me see that. He's already talked about our product table, and he told you all to send us home empty. 
So if we're driving home and the trailer is moving around a little bit, that's because it's lightweight. That's because y'all bought everything. That's what we want. Listen, there, there are shirts out there. There's DVDs and CDs, and I've written three books. This one comes out on Tuesday the 14th, but I have about 150 copies out there just for the people in this room. This is called Culture Shock. Somebody say Culture Shock. This is a pioneering revival in a superficial church. Only an evangelist could come up with that title. Uh, you know, uh, someone asked me one time, can you, can you be a little nicer when you preach? No. The church needs woken up. And so that's what this book is. And um, if you're familiar with Pastor Chuck Lawrence in Huntington, West Virginia, at Christ Temple, he wrote the foreword because we had a revival at his church. It was supposed to go four nights and went 15 weeks. And that's where I met my beautiful redhead, my fiance down here. You know, when you stay in one place that long, you, you meet some people. And so I met some pretty great ones. And so Pastor Chuck wrote the foreword. Perry Stone, I know this house is familiar with Perry Stone. He, he is my mentor. I, I live in Cleveland, Tennessee on his property now. He wrote a little bit of a foreword on the back of this. And so, listen, this, this book is church history. Um, it's revival history in America, but it's also experiences that we've had in our, in our person, in my personal ministry in the last several years of miracles and testimonies. This book will challenge you. Maybe things that you grew up in church hearing all your life that aren't necessarily in scripture. We, we dive into some of these things, but it's going to encourage you. And that's what I'm excited about because he's not the God of I was. He's the God of I am present tense. And so that's, um, if I could sum the book up in just a very short sentence, it, it may be uh, bringing the God of I am back to the 21st century church. He's not the God of I was. And I'm grateful that Bible stories that you read about are coming to life uh, in our day because Jesus is coming back. He wants many people to be ready. And so you can get that at the table. This is a great, this is going to be a great read for many of you. I wrote two more books. All that's out there though. And I don't want to take too much time with that because I want to jump right into the word. But I want to show you uh, just a couple things. Uh, of course, this is a full-time evangelism ministry. I, I do not pastor. I youth pastor for three years, and that's why I'm an evangelist. Yeah, it, was a, it was an honor. I am from Mullins, West Virginia. I youth pastored in a little Pentecostal holiness church out there for three years. I played college football for a year, and then the Lord uh, asked me to, to quit and pursue ministry. I had no idea what was coming. I didn't know that this was coming. And so uh, our evangelism ministry is really funded and, and kept on the road in three ways. And that is the offerings and revivals. That is the table and the products. And that is ministry partners. I'm grateful that in the last three and a half years, we have gotten partners from 17 states. I don't know how that's happened. I haven't preached in 17 states yet. But we have partners from New York to Washington to Texas, Florida, Missouri, places I haven't touched yet. But there's people that follow our ministry across the nation that give to this ministry. Maybe there's even partners in this room. And I don't, uh, it'd, it'd be, it would be difficult to tell in a room like this if there's partners. But we have them in 17 states. And those are people that give to us on a monthly basis. How many of you know America needs revival right now? Um, I often tell people that uh, offerings and honorariums and, and the resource table will sustain the revival, but our partners sustain the mission. We have three missions with this ministry, and that is to wake up the church, save the lost, and raise up a generation. And he just told you um, what we've been doing this week, and that's, that's the big raising up a generation. I love what the Lord is doing in the public school system. It still belongs to Jesus, if you didn't know. And this is... this. 
help me here. How many services does this make since Sunday morning? Is this the 16th service we've had this week? And that's because we've been in too many schools for me to keep count. About 225 to 230 students gave their hearts to Jesus just this week, um, from Monday from Monday to Wednesday. And so, the, the Jesus is doing remarkable things in the school system. Perhaps you'll hear that when I get into this message. And so we need partners to keep us on the road. Of course, I don't take up offerings in schools. I just go in there and preach. They give me a few minutes. But Jesus can do more in 10 minutes than I can do in an hour and a half. And so we go in there during their lunch times, and they get saved in droves. I've never, really, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, they're starving for the gospel. So we preach the real gospel, the real truth. It's not like a God's good, you're good, goodbye. I mean, they're radically saved in these schools. They're delivered. We have seen... Um, We've seen the demonic manifest in schools. We've seen healings and baptism of the Holy Ghost in schools. I didn't really ask for that, but we saw it. When you see people speaking in tongues in a school building, it, it, uh, now I, I'm, I speak in tongues. I'm a tongue, I'm a tongue talker. I just I talked in tongues right there. Um, and, but when it happens in schools, um, some, you, you know, you get a little intimidated because not everybody believes that way. And I don't ever want the door shut, but sometimes the Holy Spirit will spontaneously baptize kids in the Holy Ghost in our meetings. Um, and so Jesus is doing incredible things. If you want to partner with this mission, with this assignment, you're not giving money to a man. I, we have a board of directors that oversees all of this, but we have many, many partners. And you can do that at the table on your way out tonight. And uh, Annalise and, and Brooke or whoever's out there uh, can help you with that. All right. If you're ready for the word, shout amen. See, I'm, oh my, wow, look at that. Look how, look how big that slide is up here. Let's hold out our hands. Let me pray over you. I want to jump right into this word. Father, I thank you for what you've done in this house. Thank you, Lord, for Pastor Chad and his, his family and, and this church family. Lord, I thank you for the testimonies that I have heard about in White Sulphur Springs this year. I thank you that there has been an outpouring of freedom an outpouring of baptism of the Holy Ghost, signs, wonders, and miracles. Lord, you said in Joel chapter 2, in the last days, you would do that. You would pour out your Spirit on all flesh. And so I thank you, Lord, that the Word is going to go forth tonight like seed, and it will not fall on hardened hearts. It will not fall on deafened ears, but it will bring awakening to the nations of the earth from right here in White Sulphur Springs. And we give you glory for that in Jesus' name. Now somebody give him one more great praise. And I want to jump right in. Wow. Well, this is going to be fun. Open your Bibles to Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 16, and then bookmark Romans chapter 12. That is Mark chapter 16 and Romans chapter 12. I usually go from the NASB if you're looking for a translation. Um, I, I, want to, I want to read the scripture to you because this is, I call this the Great Commission 2.0. You're probably familiar with the Great Commission from Matthew 28, from Matthew's gospel, which is the same exact commission. This is just from Mark's vantage point where, and, and all of you know it, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. I, in other words, therefore I give you that same authority. Go into all the world baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of all the nations. Who knows the Great commission in this house. I want to read, I want to read Mark's version of this same commission. Um, it's, it's often overlooked. I rarely hear this read in, in churches today, but th this is one of my favorite passages. Later, he appeared to the 11 disciples, Mark 16, verse 14. He appeared to the 11 disciples themselves 
as they were reclining at the table. And he reprimanded them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had witnessed him after he had risen from the dead. Stop right there. Jesus is about to give them a very profound, life-changing, life-altering, ministry, uh, ministry-birthing revelation when he gives this commission. Before he could do it, he had to reprimand them and rebuke what was already living inside of them. You cannot pour into something that's already full. And what I have found is that the greatest hindrance to every miracle, the greatest hindrance to every revival, the greatest hindrance to every breakthrough is, is a very, very simple thing that we, you just call unbelief. Because of unbelief, Jesus could not minister in certain towns. He would, and, and this is the man who had all authority. He could not minister in certain places because of unbelief. He could not perform miracles because of unbelief. It's not that he got mad and, and, and got sassy about it and wouldn't do it. Like, well, they just don't believe me, so I'm not going to do it. it. No, it's not that. It's that he could not do it. it it's almost as if the unbelief inhibited him. It, it was a roadblock to him. And so before Jesus could pour out great revelation, he had to give a great rebuke. All I often tell people in revivals that before a great awakening comes, a rude awakening comes first. To get people out of the slumber, to get people out of the lucrative, to get people out of the lukewarm and the, and the carnal and the, uh, are you, is anybody listening to what I'm saying? Shout yes if you're listening. And so he says to them, he rebukes them, and then he says to them this, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The one who has believed and has been baptized will be saved but the one who has not believed will be condemned. Verse 17, these signs will, somebody say will, will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they will cast out demons. Somebody say will. They will speak with new tongues. Somebody say will. They will pick up serpents, and if, it, if they drink the deadly poison, it will not harm them. That does not mean to handle snakes in your church. And this is, that verse is the reason that many people don't read it. What, it. what it simply means is this. You will be able to handle the schemes of the enemy in your community and in your culture, and the schemes of the enemy will not handle you. You have authority. The enemy has power, but he has no authority. And he only has power where he's given permission. And so... He says, you will go into these areas, these trouble areas, and you will handle the schemes of the enemy, and the things of the enemy will not handle you. That's all it means. It is not saying to handle snakes. Should I say it again? It does not mean to handle snakes. They did a whole documentary about a little church close to where I grew up in Bradshaw, West Virginia, specifically a place called Jolo. Anybody ever heard of Jolo, West Virginia, the snake handling church? Anybody go there? Anybody ever been there? Some of you probably avoid that place because of that. You don't even drive through it. I've, I've had to watch that documentary a few times, and you just wonder where people get their theology from. They take one verse and build a whole church on it. And so he says you'll be able to pick up serpents, and if you, if you drink the, the deadly poison, meaning if, if the enemy tries to harm you, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick. Somebody say will. And they might recover. Oh, whoa, whoa. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. They, they could recover. Oh, hang on. There must be a typo here. I got it now. They will recover. It's like, it's like going to the light switch and flipping the light switch. The light does not have an argument with you about whether it's going to come on or not. 
you flip the light switch and the light doesn't say, well, you, you've had me on all day. I'm, I, I need to take me a break. The light does not say that. The light just comes on. And Jesus says, when you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. The people who believe in me will be able to do these things. In other words, they will have access to do these things. They will have authority to do these things. They will, they will have not just, a, not just an access and an authority to do it. They will have a desire to do it. They will want to do it. If you're really following after the Lord, the, next, the, the desire of every believer is to be fruitful. I, I, I doubt people who call themselves believers and have no desire to have any fruit. They have no desire to walk in holiness. They have no desire to walk in authority. They have no desire to lay hands on the sick. They have no desire to cast out devils. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying tonight? And, and, and Jesus says, you will have the ability to do this. He, he goes on to finish this commission with this. So when the Lord spoke to them, he was received into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the preaching with signs that followed. In other words, after the gospel was preached, the gospel was manifested. It was not a political speech. It was not a motivational seminar. It was, it was something that had power. Paul would say it this way. I don't come into cities, Pearson, with persuasive arguments. I come with a demonstration of the power of the gospel. When I come into a town, I'm ready to lay hands on the sick. I am prayed up, fasted up, and ready to see something shift in a community. We are ready to see something shift in a culture. We are ready to see something flipped on its head, you could say, in the book of Acts. Who are these men that have come and turned our world upside down. We can't even make any money because all the prostitutes are getting saved. Hallelujah. Preach. I think I will. The bars aren't making any money because all the alcoholics are getting saved. The I'm going to preach till y'all get with me. I remember in the early portions of the Brownsville revival, I had to, I had to go read up on this later because I think I was, uh, I was unborn when Brownsville started. We'll just say that I was unborn. It was 1995. Here's what they said though. The police force of Brownsville, after a certain moment, stopped patrolling within a three-mile radius of, of the church. And they said, why? And they said, well, the criminals got saved. There's nothing to patrol around Brownsville. He told me this was a revival-themed night, so I, just, I hope you're okay if I just preach revival to you. Revival has a ripple effect that will go beyond the four walls of a building. It, 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 there's, no, it, there's no argument about it. There's no negotiation about it. It will go out of the four walls of the building and it will wreak havoc on the community in the best way possible. Yeah, yeah. It might shut down some bars. There might not be a lot of criminals to, to arrest. There might not be a lot of prostitutes on the street when a revival comes into town because it's those people that Jesus is coming for. He said, I'm coming for the, I'm preaching tonight. He says, I'm coming for the sick. All right. I'm just, oh. He's about to rapture us right now. I'm ready. I thought that's what it was. I'm ready. Jesus did not say that these things could happen. He did not say that these things might happen. He did not say that these things should happen. He said that these things 
will happen. Somebody say will. You see, the word will is, it can be defined in, in multiple, in many ways. You could say the will of God, like the plan of God. In other words, the, the will is the plan, like a written will for someone who's about to die. That is their desires after death. I want this to go to this person. And so that's a written will. You have the will of God. It's my plan for your life that you should do this. But then there's another definition for the word will. And all, all this definition means is this, denoting something which is inevitable. And that's the word that was used here in Greek. Jesus wasn't saying he intends on it. He didn't say I intend on healing the sick. He said I will, meaning it is inevitable that when the presence of Jesus is in a room, will denoting something that is inevitable. In other words, when Jesus is in a room or with a person, it is inevitable that certain things take place. And luckily for us, Jesus listed the things that are inevitable for believers. It's inevitable that they'll lay hands on the sick. It's inevitable that they cast out devils. It's inevitable that they speak with new tongues. There's just, there are just things that happen when people start following after Jesus. I'm going to lay it on y'all tonight. You could say it like this, and this is the title of my message tonight. You could say that these things are normal elements of Christianity. Now listen, I, I know a lot of churches have their bylaws and they have their upbringings, but I've got this law and this law says that when you follow after Jesus, these things happen. When you follow after Jesus, the sick might get healed. When you follow after Jesus, blind eyes might open. When you follow after Jesus, deaf ears might come unplugged. When you follow after Jesus, the lamb, the lame might get up and walk. When you follow after Jesus, people who are mentally in torment suddenly come to peace. When you follow after Jesus, the inevitable takes place. Not just the inevitable, but what you call the impossible, Holy Ghost calls normal. Tonight I'm going to preach on make Jesus normal again. Touch your neighbor and say make Jesus normal again. Yes, it is a play on words of a certain slogan from a certain person who is running for a certain position in our nation. And I guess I might, I might just need to stop there, but we're going to make it great again, okay? We're going <laughs> to... I told pastors sometimes the impersonations come out. I, I can't help it. It's just like if I don't make it in evangelism, I will try comedy. I don't know. But we're going to make it normal again. These miracles, they're happening in record numbers. I can't believe it. Have you seen the people being saved? You, you really couldn't believe it. And that crooked Satan, that crooked man, you know. He's like darkness. Darkness tried to comprehend the light, and the darkness comprehended it not. Let me just tell you, I always overcome it, all right? Well... All right, so the question we have to ask tonight, are y'all still here? <laughs> I'm just glad I'm in a church that laughs at my jokes. Y'all don't understand, I'm in a different church every week and sometimes they don't laugh and it's so weird. They think they have to be serious in church. Every time the Holy Ghost comes in, they look like something stinks in the room. I don't, under, I don't understand. And, and I'm very dry and sarcastic, and so my jokes often aren't animated. They're just, they're, I'm just, I'm just who I am, like Paul said. And I was in a church in Sandusky, Ohio last month, and they just, they're just so dry and sarcastic. 
and so I don't have to really try to tell jokes. I just say hi, and they giggle at me. I almost couldn't get the word out because they laughed at me all night. So I'm just glad I'm in a church that knows how to laugh. Listen, if the joy of the Lord is our strength, I'm going to laugh in his presence tonight. Can we do that? Some of y'all need to get the halos off your head and just laugh with us. It doesn't always have to stink in the room. The question we have to ask tonight is simply this. What is normal? What is, ask your neighbor, say neighbor, what is normal? That's the question we've been asking for the last four years. Because in 2019, there was an element of normality. In 2020, all that was normal was taken away. In 2021, we began to see somewhere in between 2019 and 2020, though it was still really weird. Uh, Last year, um, uh, we got a a touch of what maybe some people would call normal. Um, And and I don't know that we know what normal is anymore. And I think it's a word that we often overuse without even knowing what it means. Like if I asked you what normal means, I don't know that we would have a real definition for it. You know, it's just one of those words that you use so... um, so haphazardly, like uh, you, you, you just use it. It's, it's almost like the word love in our culture. I'll save that for another message if he calls me back. That's a word. That's a, I could preach on that sermon all day. We so overuse some of these words. Normal is one of them. Somebody say normal. It was, in fact, it's so overused that I had to look up a definition for it, per, uh, like personally, because I didn't know the definition of normal. I just think normal is that which we're used to. And maybe that's a good Vague definition, but here's the actual definition that I'm going to preach on tonight. Y'all still here with me? I laid the foundation. Now I can start preaching. Normal is an adjective that means this, conforming, somebody say conforming, conforming to a standard or set of rules, the thing that is expected. In other words, to be considered normal, you must fit the box. You must meet the standard. You must, check the, you must meet the quota. You must check all the boxes. Normal has a set of rules to it. Normal has a standard to it. Normal, normal does have a definition. And there are things in culture that are normal, and there are things in culture that are not normal. For example, I could just use, uh, let's just use like basketball. For example, a basketball has to be a certain diameter. Uh, for, men, for the men's basketball, it's like 29 and a half. And if you pass a, if you, if you give someone a basketball that is familiar with it and it's not the right size, they will look at you and they'll say, this is not a normal normal basketball. If you give them a, what if the basketball is the right size and they go to bounce it and it won't bounce, it's flat, there's no air in it. You would say it's not, it's, it's not inflated it's not, an, it's not normally, it's not, it, it doesn't meet the standard. It doesn't check the boxes. And if it doesn't meet the standard, if it doesn't check the boxes, you can't use it. I'm going to go somewhere in a minute. I have to get you agreeing with me, and then I'll make a point, and you'll say, I wish I hadn't agreed with him. I'd like, like to rope you in a little bit. Y'all still here? Somebody say normal. It's, it, it, we, have, we have things in society that are normal. It, it, is, it is normal in our church culture for a revival to be a three-day weekend where the music's a little louder, the preaching's a little longer, and maybe the tongue talking is a little louder. And that's revival, but we must go back to the normal services as quick as possible before we lose people. In our church culture, it's normal to come in and have a greeting and three to five songs and jump up and do And we have our, we have our, we have to go this, 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 this. And if anything violates it, oh, that's not normal. 
Is there anything wrong with the program? No, I believe in structure. We have to have structure. But if we, if we are so devoted to the structure that we can't follow a compass, we've missed it. I said, if we're so devoted to a structure that we cannot follow a compass like Holy Spirit's voice and leading somewhere else, then we have idols. And perhaps the greatest idol in the American church is church itself. Some of you like this and some of y'all, it looks like you're smelling something in the room. I think our greatest idol is church. Because if it doesn't go a certain way, if they don't sing a certain song, if the lighting's not a certain way, if the temperature in the room's not a certain way, if he changes the service time, <gasps> I can't go back to that place. It's not normal anymore. Uh, I'm going to preach this today. Well, pay attention to this. If, if normal, if the definition of normal is true, and it means that there's a standard and a set of rules, then the next question I have to ask is, who wrote the rules. That's a very important question. Pastor, who wrote the rules? Who said church has to be this way? Who said the basketball has to be this, this large and this inflated? Who said the football has to be this certain size? If you give a college football player a football for the A-team midget league, they won't play with it. It's not normal. Talk to me. I'm roping you in. Well, Pearson, there's rules committees for this. There are people who sit down in big offices somewhere, probably in suits and ties, and they write rules, commissioners, executives, and they write these rules. What I'm telling you is this. I can't change the rules for basketball. I could wish they were changed, but I can't change them because I don't have authority there. I can't change the rules for football. And there's a lot of rules for football that I wish we could change. You can't hit certain people anymore. Any football fans in the room? If they would change the rules back to real football, I think the Steelers would have won two more Super Bowls. <laughs> Don't get upset with me. I, I'm sorry we're the only team that can count to six. The rest of y'all get there. We have, certain, we have discussions like this over NBA basketball all the time. Certain players could not play in the 1980s and 90s because they actually were physical back then. LeBron would have retired after four years. I had to find a way to... I had to. His brother told me he's a big LeBron fan and he calls him Goat James. I passed some goats coming here today. <laughs> Let me just tell you. Um, he says, he calls him Goat James, but what shoe is he standing up here ministering in? You know? And, and me too, you know? All right. Are you still here? Here's the question we have. I don't want to lose you, but y'all have laughed at me too much, so now I'm, now I'm excited that y'all think I'm funny. All right. Who, 
If, if normal means that there is a set of rules, the next question is, who wrote the rules? Well, the only people that can make rules, I can't, I can't change the rules. Pastor Chad can't change the rules for certain things. He can change the, rule for the, the rules for this church because he's the one that God has placed in authority over this house. You can, only change, you can only change rules where you have authority. So who makes the rules? The people with authority do. I'm leading into something. I'm about to really lay it on you tonight because the only people that have authority to change rules are the people who have been given authority. I youth pastored for three years. And in the, in the first several weeks of our youth ministry, I did a series on, um, on acts of the flesh, mainly sexual sin. Because if you don't know my testimony, and many of you haven't been in a room with me, I was addicted to pornography for about eight years of my life, and Jesus radically set me free. And if you don't know, yes, praise God for freedom. And that's the kind of freedom we're going to see in this room tonight. Bondages that you think are impossible are going to be normal to break for this man named Jesus. And so I know what it's like to be set free from bondage and addiction. So I was doing a series about that, being freed from acts of the flesh, mainly sexual sin, because that's where teenagers have the most hang-ups, the, the uh, uh, youthful lust. See, I just spoke in tongues again. Youthful lust, and, that's, that, and it's, it's something that young people have a, a great trouble with. I got a call from a parent one day, and they said, Nick, I heard about the series you're doing. I was about three weeks in, and I said, oh, yes, isn't, isn't it great? There's going to be a lot of freedom in the next few weeks for these young people. This parent said to me, Nick, if you want to grow your youth group, you need to just quit preaching on not to have sex. I said, oh. Now, this parent wasn't just a parent. It was a church leader also. And she said, Nick, you know it's normal for teenagers to have sex. And I said, hmm. She said, you might as well just teach them how to do it safely. This was said to me by a church leader. Church leader. And I said, that's odd. I, did, I, I, I didn't read that in there anywhere. And she said, well, Nick, you know it's normal, and I know you want to grow the youth group, so you might as well not preach on that stuff or they'll just quit coming. And I said, well, what else do you think is normal for this generation while you're at it? And she said, well, anxiety is pretty normal. Depression is normal. Suicide is normal. And I said, well, it might be the normal culture thing but it's never been and never will be the normal Christian thing. And you have settled. She goes on to say, it's normal for young people to experiment. Well, what does that mean? This, this conversation happened seven years ago, and I've never found out what experiment means. What do you mean experiment? I, I kind of have an idea now. It's gotten a little crazy out there. Um, but but what, do you, what do you mean experiment? Because the last I checked, these children were not guinea pigs and test rats. They were sons and daughters. And I don't have time to say, you can go ahead and experiment in whatever you want. I'm going to give them a taste of glory and baptism of the Holy Ghost. They will know their God. They will know their purpose and destiny. You are not an experiment. You are not a guinea pig. You've been called and anointed for such a time as this. And that's how I finished my phone call. What I didn't know then, Pastor, but I know now the Lord's began to minister with me on this, is that what you call normal, 
You just listened to me talk about normal, and all of you agreed with me. It's a set of rules, and the person who set the rule is the person in authority. And if you're bowing to cultural norms, you're bowing to another Lord. I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. If you are bowing to cultural norms, if, drink, if, if casual drinking is normal for you, Oh, I'm on touchy ground right now. If pornography is normal for you, if casual unmarried sex is normal for you, and you want to come into the house and pretend to be holy, you've bowed to another Lord, and it ain't Jesus. You have another, you have another idol you're bowing to, and I highly suggest deliverance for you tonight, and there's freedom for you in this room. There is peace for you in this house. His name is Jesus, and he's the one who was and is and is to come. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. And before American society decided what was normal, he wrote this book before the foundation of the world. And this is normal and that is not. And I feel it tonight. This word is normal. In other words, for every believer, this is normal. And if any area of your life has settled for cultural norms, you have another Lord. Because the only person who can make rules is the person in authority. And so the question we all have to ask is, who's in authority for you? I don't care if you're a member of Bethesda Church. I don't care what church you're a member of. Who's your Lord? This is a great place to be to find out about this Lord that we call Jesus, but who's your Lord? Jesus asked a similar question to his disciples. He said, who do people say I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're this. Okay, well, that's great. That's all the other people. Who do you say I am? You. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody else says he is. Who do you say he is? I want to be biblically normal. In 2023, it's normal to commit suicide in, in, in American culture. It's normal to have eating disorders. School shootings have become normal. I'm going to preach this anyhow. Gender changes have become normal. Homosexuality is normal. All this is normal. All of it is just... In 2023 America, all that is normal. And then Jesus walks in a room. And everywhere I read about in Scripture, when Jesus walked into a room, healing was normal. Deliverance was normal. Forgiveness was normal. And, and everything else became the minority. Oh, Y'all didn't get that. When Jesus came into a room, all that junk became the minority. And there was a new sheriff in town, you could, so to speak. There, there, there a, a, a new normal was established, and, and forgiveness was normal, and reconciliation was normal, and authority was normal. They said about Jesus, well, he doesn't teach like all the other scribes. He's different. He teaches like somebody with authority. He doesn't get up there and just give an eloquent sermon, but then things happen after he preaches the eloquent sermon. It's, it, it's, it's normal. Like the, the authority of Jesus became normal when Jesus came into the room. If you're still here say amen. amen according to a great revivalist in america in the very early moments of the great awakenings he said this revival is the acceleration and intensification of the holy spirit's normal work 
In other words, if you're in a church and there's people saved every week, and there's people baptized in the Holy Ghost every week. And there's deliverance every week. And the power of God is made manifest every week. When revival comes, that same presence is there, but it's intensified and it's accelerating. Revival is the intensification and acceleration of what's already happening. Meaning, if it's not happening, he's not there. If it's not happening, he's not there. When, when Holy Spirit comes into the room, according to the book of John, he enlightens people. When Holy Spirit comes into the room, he empowers people. When Holy Spirit comes into the room, he convicts people. He doesn't just teach you how to speak in tongues. He also teaches you how to shut your mouth. When Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't just teach you how to prophesy. He'll teach you how to apologize. He'll teach you stuff you don't want to be taught. That's just how good he is. Just because he knows you need it. Are you still here? When Holy Spirit comes into the room, he's a comforter. He will comfort the brokenhearted. That's just who he said. This is, this is, everything I'm saying is in scripture, by the way. I'm not just making up words for you. This is what Jesus said about the person he was sending named Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit comes into the room, according to 1 Corinthians 12, there are nine gifts that are distributed in the room. According to Galatians 5, there are nine fruits that are distributed into the room. According to Ephesians, uh, some chapter, I think four or three or two or one or something like that, there are five ministries, the preacher, the teacher, the evangelist, the apostle, and the prophet. Here's what's interesting. When Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, there was a dove that came and rested on him and remained with him. And scripture says that was the Holy Spirit. Maybe he didn't know this, but an Arabian dove has nine feathers on each wing and five tail feathers, nine fruits, nine gifts, five ministries. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Pearson, it just happened again. I, I call it, uh, every church has a, what I call a Bethel moment. Ever watch Bethel on the internet? When Bill Johnson speaks, they usually just go, hmm, wow, yes. Bill gets up and says hello. Yes, Bill, yes. He could say the most jaw-dropping revelation that changed your life, and you just go, whoa. And that just happened. When I, finished, when I said five tail feathers, people went, hmm, Wow. He convicts, he enlightens, he empowers, he comforts, he distributes nine gifts to, for the building up of the saints. He distributes nine fruits. That's just what should manifest when Holy Ghost is in your life. Young people, self-control is still on the list. Um, there are five ministries, offices that are distributed, meaning this, if you claim to have Holy Spirit in your life and none of those things are happening, you do not have Holy Spirit in your life. I'm not saying that all of those things are happening because no one is all five of the offices. No one has all nine of the gifts. The only thing that he says is guaranteed is that you should have all nine of the fruits. Against such, there is no law. But all the other things, if, now, if, if you're never, listen, if you're never convicted of any sin, that's weird. And the reason it's weird, here's why it's weird. Because 1 John says, if you, have, if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. In other words, conviction is normal. 
Because it's normal for Holy Spirit to keep you in line. Oh, I love it. I, I have a love-hate thing with conviction. I hate it. But without it, I'm lost and it's hopeless. How do I know if I'm in wrong standing without it? And so Holy Spirit convicts. If you're constantly walking through life feeling no conviction, he's not with you. I hate to be so, well, I don't hate to be so blunt. The church needs woken up. I don't hate it. it it's, I'm tired of believers coming to the Sunday service, and that's the only time they feel his presence. That's the only time they hear his voice. Can I just say something to you? I just mean this from my heart. If the only time you hear his voice is on Sunday at church, that's probably not his voice you're hearing. Because he speaks to me privately before he ever speaks to me corporately. What if the only time you talked to your spouse was when you sat down beside him at church? Good to see you this morning. And that's how many of you treat Holy Spirit and you claim to be a follower. Oh, has this been on me the whole time? That's like in the presidential debate when that fly landed on Hillary's forehead. That's, I, okay, y'all, I, I hope y'all weren't distracted when I said that. Y'all still here? Okay. If Holy Spirit is present in your life, his, 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 fruits and, his fruits and things that he does, his attributes, will be evident in your life. You will hear his voice. It's not normal to not hear his voice for weeks and months on end. I'm sorry, it's not. It's not. Is it normal for your spouse to ignore you for weeks on end? Pro I hope not. I really hope not. But we think it's normal. Well, God hasn't spoken to me in months. Why? I promise it's not because he doesn't want to. See, Jesus always wants to come into the room. Somebody say always. There's a 100% chance that Jesus always wants to come into the room. So when he's not in the room, we have to ask why. He, there, there's never a time where he says, well, I came last week. That, that, nev that never happens with Holy Spirit. It happens with us, but it never happens with Holy Spirit. We're, we are inconsistent creatures, but he always wants to come. And when he doesn't, I have to ask why. When he doesn't meet me in my prayer time, I have to ask why. When I if, I, if I go through a spell where I don't feel his presence, at least feel his presence around me, I have to ask why. It's not his fault. Talk to me, somebody. I'm, I'm trying to land this plane. Are y'all still here? Can I, go? I know I'm, I'm long-winded, but I saw where y'all had Perry Stone once upon a time, so y'all are used to long-winded people. Can I go a little longer? I'm going to land this plane right here. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to talk about how there is a way to... How many of you would say, I want to be biblically normal? Because the truth is this, the truth is this, when you stand before Jesus and, he said, and, you have, and you have to give an account for your life, and he says, well done, or I don't know you, it'll probably be based on how you walked with him. You can say Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom, but only those who do, only those who do the will of the Father. How do you know the will of the Father if you don't ever hear his voice? I want to be biblically normal. 
because the culture has all kinds of crazy stuff to tell you, but I want to be biblically normal. I'm glad that when culture changes its mind every week, I've got something that stands the test of time and never changes and never wavers and never fails and never falls short and is never inconsistent. Romans chapter 12 is, now listen, before I read this to you, don't put it up there yet. Before I read it to you, I want to remind you of the definition of normal. Somebody say conforming. Conforming to a set of standards or rules. Now read Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of the Lord, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be wow. How about that? He's already met this thing head on. He says, do not be conformed to the things going on out there, but instead be, be, thank you all five of you that said trans, instead be, by the renewing of your heart, no, mind, it's your thinking that's off. Because things that are in the heart always hit the mind first. It always begins here. And then out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks. Many people say, well, Nick, I'm just a quiet praiser. No, you're not. That is scripturally impossible. Because your, your mouth is only the overflow of what's in your heart. There's no such thing as quiet praise. It makes no sense. It's, it's like an oxymoron kind of thing. Like he, he says, let everything that has, he didn't say let everything that have thoughts praise the Lord. He said, let everything that has breath praise. Well, I think you should just give him about 10 seconds of a praise right now. Can you do that? The only way to be biblically normal is to be transformed in the renewing of your mind. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of the Lord is. Without being transformed in the mind, you will miss the will of the Lord for your life. He says it right here. If you're not transformed in your mind, you cannot find the will of God because your thinking is off. Dr. Cutshaw, I was in a meeting with Dr. Brian Cutshaw. Maybe you, you guys know who this man is. Incredible. He's my pastor in Cleveland. I was in a meeting with him and some other people, and he was talking about going to the nation of Chile to, to start ISO Español, the Spanish version of his Bible school. And he said this to us. He said, I'm going to Chile. I, I, he said, I used to be really fluent in Spanish, but it's been so long, I, I, I can't really speak the language anymore. But he said, when I get immersed in that culture, by day three or four, I'll be able to be, have a fluent conversation. But then he said something that just blew my mind. And he wasn't trying to be spiritual. He was just telling us to pray for him. He said, the English language is, is, is written backwards to the Spanish language. You know, the Spanish language, their verbs and, and things are switched and adjectives, things are switched around. And so he said this, you can't think in English and speak in Spanish. And something went off in my spirit. He was just talking and I said, oh, whoa, wait a second. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of the Lord is. You can't think carnal and speak prophetic. You can't, you can't think carnal. You can't think the stuff that they think and talk the way he talks. You can't think like, you can't think 
think like a harlot and talk like a prophet. It doesn't work that way. You can't think impure and walk in purity. Whatever you think is going to come out of your mouth eventually. Whatever you think is going to come out in the way you walk eventually. Whatever you think is going to come out in the way you treat people eventually. Somebody preach, I think I'm going to. You can't think that way and talk this way. You must be transformed to this. We... We can't transform this into that. We have to transform this into this. Pearson, come up here. You're, I'm, I, I, there's a young man that I mentor. You, well, you, there's stairs right there. <laughs> Can y'all hear me good back here? Y'all are going, this testimony is probably one of the greatest you ever hear. Uh, stay right there, Pearson, because here's the, somebody say conform in Greek conform means to fashion oneself after Pearson. I, I, if I want to, I could try to be just like you. I could dress like you talk like you wear my hair, like you walk around, like you have my mannerisms all like you. And I can, I might come close, but I'll never be the real thing. Yeah. When you're conforming, you're always trying to fashion yourself after something. And that's why Paul says don't be conformed to the world because you'll always be trying to meet a standard that you'll never reach. Oh, that's a, that's good preaching right there. I will always be trying to grasp something that I'll never really grasp, man. I'll never be like you, but you'll never be like me. And God intended it to be that way because the Lord does not need two nicks. One's plenty. I'm a lot. The Lord doesn't need two chads. One chad's plenty. And look what, look, what, look what one chad's yes has done for the kingdom in this community. Amen. Now, I met, oh, I, I met him two years ago at a revival. You're about to hear an incredible testimony. But before that, I have to tell you this. The word transformed in Greek means to transfigure. It's the same word used in Matthew 17 during the transfiguration of Jesus. When it's the same word used in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he says we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And Paul says the same thing that happened to Jesus at the transfiguration can happen to your mind. It's the same exact word. Now, Pearson, I, I have you up here because I want to tell the people this and then I want to tell them your story. That's, I'm going to land this plane with a story so that you'll know if he can do it for him, yeah. he can do it for you. Yeah. See, Conforming is all about you. It's you trying, trying, trying. It's all your effort. It's all your ability. It's all your, all your stuff. Somebody say, it's all you. When you conform, it's all you. But when you're transformed, it's all him. In other, oh, I love this. In other words, guys, you have to try to conform, but you have to die to transform. I've got to crucify this so I can have that. You have to try to conform, but all you got to do to transform is die. Just put the flesh to death and Jesus comes to life. Now, you know all about this. I met you two years ago at a revival in Boone County, in old Boone County, Madison, West Virginia. I was preaching on the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. He's been in church all his life like me. But this particular night, I guess the coming of the Lord message scared him, as it does. And the fear of the Lord came in you, and you gave your heart back to Jesus. 
Now, while I'm preaching, sometimes, sometimes in a room, the Lord will highlight people to me, and I'll, I'll, the Lord will allow me to speak prophetically over them and call ministry out of them. In the middle of my coming, to, coming of the Lord message, I, I call the Lord called him to ministry, and I highlighted him and I pointed at him, and I, I noticed that his whole family had this look of, ah, I don't know if he, I don't know if I don't know about that. You're laughing, but here's the reason why they didn't know about that because you had over a dozen doctor-diagnosed diseases in your body. Elders Danlow syndrome, gastroparesis, chronic what? All kinds of chronic diseases that were no cure for. Doctors told you that you should expect to be, uh, when you get your driver's license, you should expect to have a handicap pass because you only have about three hours of good energy a day. And you'll need a handicap pass because you won't be able to walk through the parking lot, son. Because you couldn't eat anything either. They also told you that by the time you turn 17, what should happen to you? I should need a wheelchair. What about by 22? I'd probably be dead. You said you won't make it to full adulthood, son. You gave your heart back to the Lord that night and you got baptized. And you took all kinds of medication. You didn't didn't eat any food. The only thing you could do was take medicine. When was the last time you took a pill? The night before I got baptized. Oh, so what you're saying is Jesus healed your body? Yes. Totally? Yes. How many diseases are in your body? Zero. Show them. Give them a great praise, right? Oh, they don't. They don't even know. They have no idea. Let me tell you. You can stay on your feet because I'm about to wrap this up, right? If you actually, if you're not on your feet, go ahead and get there. Now. You don't know. Ever since that revival, I, I can't get rid of him now. He just, he's in all my hotel rooms. He travels with me. We've baptized about 6,000, or I'm sorry, about 3,000 people in the last three and a half years. In the last, uh, in the last year and a half, we've baptized about 2,000, and he's baptized all of them. He runs my baptism ministry. Now, Pierce, oh, I love this. I was studying in the hotel room for a service in February at Christ Temple. And I'm in Huntington and I'm at the desk and I'm, oh Lord, give me the word, give me the word. And I'm studying. And he's got a little beats pill he plays music on and he had the whole hotel can hear the music because he's just, he's a loud person. And, and so everything about him is loud and I'm very proud of that. And so the music's real loud. And I'm, but, but somewhere in the music, you, you hear these beautiful pads? I didn't hear that. At some point, I heard bed springs, and and I'm, I'm and I'm studying, and I hear I hear, and I stop, and I and there he was jumping on the bed, and he's saying, and he's shouting, his hands are up, God, thank you for healing my body, thank you for giving me energy back, thank you for giving me my life back, now. You don't, no, y'all don't get it. This man could not get out of bed. If he wanted to go to a, a, like a basketball game or a party in the evening, they would say skip school and sleep all day. The doctors told him you can only go to half a day of school. You can't do a full day of school, son. You don't have enough energy for that. He's got more energy than I know what to do with. I've never seen anything like it. And you might say, Oh, you might say, well, Nick, that's just immature kid jumping on the bed, immaturity. No, it's not. Get that religious spirit out of you right now. This man had no energy. He couldn't get up. He couldn't walk around. He didn't have, he didn't have anything. And now that 
he's been healed, he's given God everything. So before you get all religious on me, why don't you give him a great praise right now? Show him what the Lord's given you. You might say, well, that's a dozen diseases. That's pretty miraculous. It's pretty supernatural. To us, it is. To him, it's normal. How much, how much weight have you gained since, since that revival? At least 20 pounds. At least 20 pounds. Oh, you eat good now, don't you? Even some of my food, he tries to eat it, all right? Like this, listen, when I say totally healed, I mean totally healed. Doctor confirmed. They go back to the doctor, and the doctor says, you don't need to be here. You're fine. Go home and enjoy your life. In other words, when you submit to the normality of the Holy Spirit, he will give you your freedom back. He will give you your life back. He will give you your power back. He will give you your, somebody give him a great praise in this room. Hold out your hands and bow your heads all over this house. Close your eyes. I know the Lord's ministering corporately right now, but right in, in this moment, it's, it's about to get personal. And the Lord's about to meet your needs personally. Oh, Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that what's complicated for us is normal to you. What's impossible for us is normal to you. Lord, we call it a miracle. You call it normal. I want to tell you, as your eyes are closed and you're just seeking his face, anxiety and depression are not normal. Eating disorders are not normal. Suicidal thoughts are not normal. And you might even say, well, Nick, I was born this way. That's, that's the cry of a certain community in our culture. They say, Nick, I was born this way. I can't help it. Well, you weren't born again that way. If you feel like you were born that way, that's okay. Get born again. Well, Nick, you don't understand. It runs in my family. Yeah, but then it ran into Jesus. This altar call is going to be very general and kind of a blanket altar call because I want as many people free as possible. As your eyes are closed, my question is this. Do you have anything in your body, in your mind, in your home, in your marriage that you know Jesus did not give you? If you do, let me see your hand right now. Wow. Physical, mental, spiritual, I, I don't care. Is there anybody that's ready to quit with the anxiety? Wave your hand at me if you're ready to stop with the anxiety. even going to deliver one, uh, and this might seem small to some of you, but if it's important to you, it's important to God, but the, the Lord wants to deliver one young man of night terrors, and and the reason that that is important, that that's, that, again, that's that might sound small to you, but if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God, and, and he'll deliver you from night terrors because he wants you to have rest. If you're weary, come to him and he'll give you rest, and so Father, I thank you that night terrors are leaving a young man right now in Jesus' name. (laughs) 
something I want to pray into real heavy tonight is a spirit of intimidation, or Paul would call it a spirit of fear. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You have fear to talk about Jesus. And some of you at your workplace, you're scared to get fired or, as they say, canceled. And the Lord is about to cancel fear right now. Let's just say everything that Jesus didn't give you is officially canceled in this house. Lift your hands to heaven right now all over the room. If you raised your hand for that very simple altar call and you believe Jesus can free you, you believe Jesus can heal you, you believe Jesus can deliver you, you believe Jesus can heal your marriage, you believe Jesus can touch your mind, you believe Jesus can touch your body, I want you up here at this altar right now. One, two, three, somebody take a step. If someone's in your way, just say, excuse me, I got to get to Jesus. Excuse me, I'm like the woman with the, with the issue of blood and I'm desperate. I'm desperate. Just line this place up wall to wall. When you get up here, just bow your heads and hold your hands out. <sighs> Holy Ghost, I thank you. 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 at the altar, that's okay. We'll get to you. We'll get to you. The Lord's got a lot of work to do tonight, but it's normal to Him. As you're, as you're up here praying, I just want to minister a couple of things to you. The Lord wants, the Lord is, is leading me very heavy into the area of unforgiveness. There are multiple people here that you have a physical, uh, it's a, we would call it a spirit of affliction on you. And it's a direct result of unforgiveness. Jesus said to the person, the unforgiving debtor, he said, release that person to the tormentors. When we, when we choose to not forgive, we open up a door to a tormenting spirit. And that can, come with, that can come in the form of anxiety, it can come in the form of panic attacks, it can come in the form of even physical things. You're like, where did this come from? I've been healthy all my life. But the, but the Lord has, you have, you have opened a door for a spirit to afflict you. And I have seen people in altars all over, all over America. When they forgive the person that wronged them, the Lord instantly heals them of their affliction. I mean, it's like it goes away immediately. So if you're, if you're up here right now, I think the first thing that needs to happen is repentance. Scripture says repentance is not just saying, God, I'm sorry. It's actually to turn and change the mind. Greek word metamorpho, metamorphosis. And when you do that, the Lord will give you a renewing of the mind. So if you're up here right now, whatever you need to repent of, I need you to give it to the Lord. If you need to forgive somebody, release that person by name to the Lord as they, as they just play over you. Scripture says if we believe it in our heart and confess it with our mouth, we'll be saved. So right now, this, there needs to be a mouth confession. Something has to come out of your mouth. You need to declare it. There's power when you speak. So just go ahead and speak right now. You don't have to yell it out, but there does need to be lips moving. Go ahead. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Right now, the work of the devil in 
countless lives is being destroyed. established the norm. 
I said his word has already established the norm and we commit ourselves to the normality of scripture in Jesus name. <clears throat> now, if you're ready to commit to the normality of scripture, <clears throat> just lift your hands to heaven right now. You see, when we repent, we get into a right standing with God where we can ask and we, and we shall receive. That's what happens. We repent, we're in right standing, and then you enter the throne room boldly, asking him of anything, and it'll be done for you. So with your hands lifted, just ask him whatever you can, whatever you came up here for. This is an ask and you shall receive moment. There's a lot of different needs up here and a lot of different challenges and a lot of different shortcomings and all kinds of stuff. But I just want you to ask him for whatever you came for. Can you verbally ask him right now as they begin to play over you and sing over you and declare over you? Just ask him whatever you came up here for. And if you feel a hand on your back or maybe on your head, there will be people coming to lay hands on you and minister to you. If you begin to feel the manifestation of Holy Spirit's presence, you may shake, you may fall down, you just sink to your knees, just sink to your knees and experience His presence. If you feel like you're about to cry, just burst into tears. He gave you emotions to experience Him. So go ahead, ask Him right now. Ask Him right now. Holy Spirit, we're asking for your normal presence to come into this room. We're asking you for the normal work of the Holy Spirit to flood this house and flood our minds and flood our hearts and flood our bodies. Go ahead, ask Him for it right now. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.